Hey folks, welcome to the first episode of GV360 Weekly, a weekly podcast on politics, society and economy. I'm your host Adnan and today we will be talking to Professor Sarthak Bakchi on 2021 assembly elections in the Indian state of West Bengal. Hello Professor Bakchi. Hello, hi Adnan. Professor Bakchi is an assistant professor at School of Arts and Sciences, Ahmedabad University. His research primarily focuses on clientelism and patronage politics, comparative politics, Indian state politics, populism, informal politics, as well as identity politics. Other than writing for academia, Professor Bakchi also writes on politics for general audiences on platforms such as The Wire, The Indian Express, The Hindu Center for Politics and Public Policy. He appears as a political commentator for Indian TV news channels such as NDTV India. Before entering academia, Professor Bakshi worked as a journalist with TV news channel NewsX. He has previously worked with Royal Netherlands Institute of Southeast Asian and Caribbean Studies as a researcher and Göttingen University Germany as postdoctoral researcher. Professor Bakshi, thank you for joining us today. West Bengal will decide later this month if there will be a shift of power or incumbent TMC will continue. Professor Bakchi, can you give us a brief historical context of what parties and leaders historically dominated West Bengal's politics, as well as some major political shifts? Right. Uh, thank you so much uh, uh, for uh, inviting me to this uh, podcast. and. Uh, it's a very important um, you know election that we are just um, going to witness in a few days from now uh, about west bengal and west bengal has been a very uh, politically active and you know historically a very important state in india uh, it has also seen um, you know it's seen something from a you know ideological perspective you see that uh, uh, it has actually had the world's uh, longest uh, democratically elected uh, uh, communist government mm-hmm. so th- in that sense it has a you know special place in in terms of ideological politics uh, and um, now in india when we see that there is a renewal of ideological politics and um, uh, a right wing ideology is on the rise uh, it's also very important to see uh, how west bengal uh will will uh, you know fare in 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 that kind of a rise in front of that kind of a rise but this question also uh you know or this idea of the interview or the idea of the podcast also brought me back to my uh masters ma days uh, when i actually wrote my masters dissertation on um, the downfall of the communist hegemony uh, in bengal so at that time i was actually able to read through a lot of uh, interesting literature Uh, and read through a lot of uh, good scholarship um, to understand what exactly you know happened uh, in bengal and how the left front uh, came to consolidate its its rule uh, historically speaking um, in a in a you know in a in a post uh, independent india uh, west bengal was uh, again like all the other states uh, it also had a congress government and under uh, bidhan chandra ray uh, who was a stalwart congress leader um, and he was one of those uh, what we used to be called uh, what could be called the congress uh, regional satraps right you had something similar in a powerful chief ministers 
of Congress uh, at different regional levels, uh, like Kamraj in Tamil Nadu, uh, similarly uh, Vidhan Chandra in uh, Bengal. But uh, later we understood that uh, we saw that as uh, you know the Congress system uh, dissipated uh, during the 1960s. Um, you know, the Congress also got divided into Bangla Congress led by uh, Ajay Mukherjee. And uh, the Bangla Congress in 1967 formed the first uh, uh, non-Congress government in West Bengal, uh, which was supported by the left front in which uh, Jyoti Basu became a deputy chief minister uh, and the finance minister. So in that sense, uh, you know, that was the first foray of the left front uh, in power in, in Bengal as a uh, junior partner in an alliance led by uh, Bangla Congress. Uh, and in 1977, after, um, you know, the emergency was taken away and uh, fresh elections were announced. And in 1977, when we saw that uh, uh, Congress uh, at the central level and in, at uh, regional level in several states was routed, uh, the similar thing happened in Bengal also, because uh, uh, Bengal also has a very, you know, uh, during emergency, uh, a lot of uh, talk is about, um, you know, a lot of mention is coming from the Navnirman movement in uh, Gujarat, the student movements in Bihar, etc. But Bengal also played a very crucial role in uh, during that emergency period. And there was also uh, the, the Naxal movement, which was very powerful during that time uh, uh, in Bengal. And <clears throat> the kind of, uh, you know, uh, state uh, machinery, which was used to suppress uh, you know, the, the student movement and student activism uh, during that time, in, in especially in urban Calcutta, is uh, um, hardly ever finds any other parallel in the Indian context. And there are many movies which have been made also, uh, which talk about, you know, the, the kind of uh, high-handedness with which the Congress uh, uh, government dealt with uh, students and uh, student activism during that time. So after that, coming up, uh, emerging out from that phase of uh, repression, uh, state-led repression, uh, the left front got power in 1977, and Jyoti Basu became the chief minister. Uh, and the left front, uh, in fact, in, in Bengal, the left front uh, included basically uh, CPM in the leading role, and CPI and uh, Forward Bloc and other uh, socialist parties, uh, you know, together in a, in a left front. So. That, that left front basically came out with uh, uh, much, uh, much, much uh, applauded and very highly uh, commended uh, land reform policies. Uh, and also, you know, to a certain extent, uh, those land reform policies were really beneficial for the uh, rural peasantry and for the landless laborers. Uh, there was the Operation Bargadari, uh, which uh, enlisted sharecroppers and gave them certain rights, um, which was not uh, you know, which was not uh, really existing in other states. So in that sense, uh, West Bengal took some very formative steps in towards uh, the direction of land reforms, um, which has had consequences, uh, long consequences, right, in, in making up the political culture in the rural areas also. Uh, but more than the, uh, apart from the land reforms, what the left front really did, uh, really did, uh, during its long reign in power, because from 1977, the left front was finally dislodged from power uh, in 2011. So that is something which is, uh, you know, uh, a great 34-year uh, period. Uh, so that was, you know, uh, longest continuously uh, reigning 
democratically elected communist government uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, but what led to that consolidation is also very important that uh, the, you know, the, the left front, uh, in a way, created certain models of governance, uh, which have uh, influenced and which have shaped uh, the kind of politics that we see in, in Bengal today. Right. So what we see in Bengal today the, is a reflection of what the left front, uh, uh, how the left front consolidated its reign. Um, the left front um, government has also been analyzed, uh, you know, by uh, by several scholars as uh, a party government model in which, uh, you know, the, a government was made for the party and a party was made for the government. So in that case, uh, basically, you know, uh, in the rural areas, uh, the party had recruited many uh, many, many, many people, many activists, many workers who, who then, you know, captured several institutions of the government uh, and uh, who basically uh, kind of, you know, uh, ruled these uh, rural areas as their personal uh, fiefdoms or personal, you know, areas of influence and personal areas of control. So there were these, you know, small pockets of influence uh, across uh, Bengal, in which different uh, leaders or different influential leaders of the left uh, ruled. Uh, and this was there across uh, the districts of uh, West Bengal. Uh, the party also in its initial days, uh, it was also seen that the left front, uh, when I say the party, it's usually the left front, right? So it was also seen that during uh, its initial days, uh, uh, the left front also did not pay much attention to uh, the urban voters or to, to the urban civic amenities or other things, because it, it took, uh, you know, more concentration in uh, understanding and, and trying to capture the rural electorate or the rural masses. Uh, and that is when also uh, it made a kind of a, a party society, what the scholars have called a party society, in which basically, uh, you know, people, uh, influential uh, middle classes coming from, uh, you know, um, school teachers or, you know, government officials, uh, BDOs, block development officers, uh, these different uh, um, police, uh, you know, the state police. Uh, so these different arms of the government or arms of the state, in a sense, were basically used uh, to control uh, the and capture the society, right? And 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 this was, of course, uh, this also led to the distribution of resources in a more systematic manner. But it also used to create a very, you know, uh, solid electoral support base, which would turn up, uh, you know, very uh, steadfastly uh, in each election, uh, returning the party to power uh, across several uh, state as well as, uh, you know, parliamentary elections. So what this did was also that it uh, completely decimated uh, the chance of any kind of a, uh, opposition. And what this left front uh, period from 77 to 2011 also uh, you know, kind of, and which is a very important thing to understand, even in today's, if one wants to understand today's contemporary Bengal, that there was a kind of a hegemonic domination that the left front tried to achieve. Uh, in fact, was also successful in achieving, uh, which was based on uh, the idea of coercion and consent. So there was a use of force, but there was also the use of uh, consent or benefits. So in a sense, uh, it was that uh, kind of a carrot and stick policy that where you can, you were extended, uh, the state was extending benefits and, you know, uh, uh, benefits from several scheme 
redistributive schemes and other things. But where it was necessary, it was also using rampant force, whether it be, uh, you know, the official force of the state, the legitimate force of the police, or it was the illegitimate force of uh, Harmad Bahinis or other kind of, you know, parallel infrastructure that uh, was also there. So in a way that that kind of a consent and, uh, you know, coercion model has has sort of remained even when we see that and uh, when we saw the Trinamool Congress coming to power. And uh, Trinamool Congress, again, is uh, a very, you know, interesting political development because uh, uh, it broke out from Congress. Uh, Mamata Banerjee, the, the leader of the Trinamool Congress, uh, it basically created uh, a regional variation of Congress, uh, which was uh, uh, ideologically ambiguous but it had a personality-centric kind of a personality-driven party. And the personality-driven party is very common. It's not uncommon to see regional parties uh, which, were, which are devoid of any ideology, uh, coherence, uh, but which are largely driven or largely dependent on the personality of their leader, uh, which is like if you see even Nitish Kumar in uh, uh, JDU in Bihar, if you see Naveen Patnaik in BJD in Odisha, if you see Jagan Mohan Reddy uh, in Andhra Pradesh. Uh, so similarly, you have uh, certain, you know, uh, these kind of regional variations which are coming up, uh, which are devoid of, uh, you know, uh, uh, which are ideologically ambiguous, but which have a very strong personality uh, driven uh, leadership. And, and uh, Mamata Banerjee came to power in 2011 uh, in uh, Bengal. Uh, removing left front uh, from the government and it was seen and it was upholded as a very you know kind of a great uh, democratic uh, uh, kind of an assault on uh, the left front rule uh, because also uh, partly due uh, for partly uh, you know the reason for this uh, left front defeat uh, from which the left front has not yet been able to recover fully uh, was uh, their uh, authoritative uh, adoption of the neoliberal policies uh, because uh, suddenly in the in, at the turn of the century in, two, in the early 2000s especially since 2005 onwards uh, the left front showed uh, a very aggressive uh, uh, neoliberal uh, you know uh, kind of an approach to invite industries to give land grants to factories to set up in uh, you know companies factories etc uh, and in a way uh, the the kind of uh, you know what happened really or what kind of a political uh, churning that happened was uh, the party society that I had mentioned earlier some time back uh, the same members of the party society uh, or who were the uh, you know who were the vanguards of uh, the left front they became so uh, you know this uh, uh, I mean they became so uh, discordial or they became so uh, you know, so distant from the everyday um, happenings and the everyday politics and uh, from the, uh, you know, what, what people were feeling on the ground. So they became very di uh, distant from that kind of an understanding. Uh, and what, what happened was the left front could not uh, understand or could not really, uh, you know, imagine the kind of uh, resilience or the kind of resistance that was shown uh, by the people of uh, rural ba Bengal, uh, against this kind of a very aggressive uh, neoliberal policy uh, and which was very much, um, you know, uh, captured and uh, which was very much used 
by Trinamool Congress to you know, solidify uh, this resistance against the left front. And of course, she, you know, she, she, uh, she used this, uh, uh, this uh, discontent very, very um, strategically against the left front to, uh, to turn it, uh, you know, to, to upturn it in 2011 um, and to, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, create a, her own first uh, government in, in Bengal in, the, in a very long time, which was a non-left government in Bengal. So largely we have been seeing that, you know, uh, Trinamool Congress has been a party in government. And once it came as the party in government, uh, the Trinamool Congress adopted certain similar kind of, uh, you know, uh, manner in which or similar kind of strategies uh, which the left front had actually used. So it, Trinamool Congress also was actively seen to encourage that kind of a party society uh, model in which it also had its, uh, you know, leaders of uh, small influence uh, who would be uh, holding their own court in, in different districts uh, and who were basically benefiting from government largess uh, in, in their own areas of control and areas of influence. Uh, and Trinamool Congress, uh, that also happened because many of the uh, leaders and activists at the ground level shifted en masse to Trinamool Congress. So those who were earlier in, in the left front, many of them shifted to Trinamool Congress, sensing that uh, uh, more opportunity and sensing, uh, you know, that it will be uh, proximity to power is more, uh, more uh, important than ideology uh, in Indian politics. So many of those activists and many of those grassroots level workers and leaders shifted to Trinamool Congress. So Trinamool also uh, ended up inheriting a lot of that uh, culture of, uh, you know, the idea of uh, hegemony from coercion and consent. So that has happened over a long time uh, in the last, uh, you know, 10 years also. Uh, and then we see that there is an emergence of uh, the BJP, which has, uh, uh, not only captured uh, an imagination of, uh, uh, you know, of a, a cultural imagination of uh, the Bengali voters uh, in a sense that's, uh, you know, portraying a Hindu identity, right, against a Muslim identity if, uh, you know, the, uh, in Bengal. But it is also a, a party which has uh, the center, right? It had power in the center. So uh, it has a lot of, you know, it has... Uh, uh, there is a sense of, you know, competitive populism also with, uh, with the Mamata government offering schemes uh, as if not in addition to the Modi uh, government schemes, but rather in competition to the Modi government schemes. Uh, and one of them um, uh, has been, you know, very popular as the Ayushman Bharat uh, scheme, the health insurance scheme that Modi government has launched. Uh, and there has been a lot of, you know, uh, to and fro between, uh, there's been a lot of con contestation between uh, the state government and the central government regarding this scheme. Uh, and Mamata government actually, Mamata Banerjee's government has actually uh, launched its own health scheme, uh, which is almost competing with, uh, you know, uh, with Modi's uh, Ayushman Bharat scheme. So we see that, you know, uh, in terms of resources, there is a contestation in terms of uh, uh, a cultural appeal of being a Hindu versus being a Bengali, uh, there is a contestation. So the, uh, it has this, this fight and this very public kind of a, you know, a spectacle 
uh, has or theatrical politics has actually occupied the imagination of uh, not only bengal but also i think uh, rest of the country uh, for the past few months because uh, we have all been witnessing the kind of uh, turmoil or the kind of uh, churning that is happening in in uh, the bengal electorate right so i think uh, that perhaps sets out the context for um, you know what you asked what are the major shifts and how have probably the you know uh, what has been the history of uh, state politics in bengal thank you professor for these amazing points i mean specifically i have a follow up question what exactly is ideological politics in context of bengal and india and i am not uh, sure like uh, that i get the point that how is it returning like isn't in some sense bjp's appeal as well you know about you know prime minister narendra modi's personality like isn't that a very great part of bjp's appeal there right right that's a that's a very good question uh, no so by ideological politics uh, what we mean is that uh, uh, any party has a has a very you know coherent uh, set of ideologies that it follows uh, and uh, there is an ideology that uh, uh, it is not only you know uh, something that the party uh, shifts or something adapts uh, at every opportune time but this is something that an ideological position is something that a party follows uh, irrespective of its uh, electoral uh, prospects or electoral outcomes uh, so uh, ideology in that sense ideological context of a, a political party uh, is usually seen to trump over uh, what we have as uh, what we see commonly as electoral opportunism so and and this is not only the party central leadership but there is also usually in ideological parties we also find uh, a dedicated cadre base which is ideologically oriented and which is not only you know oriented towards uh, maximizing its own benefits or uh, enjoying the you know, leverage of uh, state power of course when the cadre comes to power or the, when the party comes to power when an ideological party comes to power the cadre also get benefit right they they are uh, distributed resources they are getting benefits uh, from the party being in power but uh, it is a, a dedicated cadre is something on ideologically driven cadre is uh, someone which doesn't usually um, you know uh, leave the ship when it is uh, uh, about to sink or when it is uh, not in power let's say right so uh, the ideological uh, politics can be uh, put directly in contrast to uh, what we see as opportunistic politics right that many leaders uh, try to shift from one party to another and that is again becoming a very uh, uh, important feature of what we are seeing uh, playing out on our screens uh, in front of the just ahead of the bengal elections that there is a lot of party switching which is happening right uh, so there is the idea that you know uh, many people are coming into bjp and many people are uh, being incorporated into bjp who need not necessarily have the um, kind of uh, ideological grounding that many other uh, organization bjp leaders have who come from a history of uh, rss uh, uh, come from the history of uh, you know uh, uh, have being ideologically committed to the to the idea of uh, uh, you know hindu rashtra or something right now your question about bjp is very 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 right in the sense that uh, under narendra modi and 
especially under Amit Shah, uh, who was the you know president and uh, of the BJP earlier, and uh, who still has a lot of uh, you know control over the BJP party organization. BJP has a, a sense of uh, you know, in, in a sense, BJP has uh, expanded itself from being. Uh, just an ideological party. It, it has become a party in government or a party in power. So the kind of ideas that we had of Congress in the 1960s, that Congress was a party in government, uh, BJP is uh, you know, almost uh, achieving that kind of a, uh, idea of a party in government or a party in power. Uh, and uh, although it, it remains committed to the ideology of the Hindu Rashtra, the ideology, uh, it, it remains committed and motivated, but we see that it has also expanded its scope uh, by including so many, you know, uh, defectors or so many, uh, uh, you know, dis uh, uh, people from other different parties. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, there are, in fact, many of these politicians come from with uh, allegations of corruption, allegations of money laundering. In fact, all the prominent leaders in Bengal who have joined BJP, from Mukul Roy to, um, you know, Subendu Adhikari and others, uh, they, are all, they all have been accused of corruption by the BJP, right? And they all have been in the past accused of uh, corruption and, uh, you know, money laundering and other things, you know, uh, financial uh, irregularities, let's say. Uh, by the BJP and uh, uh, by the enforcement directorate, by the CBI or by the income tax. So the BJP now takes a pride in itself that uh, it is like a washing machine. In fact, Mamata Banerjee also calls it a washing machine. But uh, incidentally enough, Nitin Gadkari, a uh, very senior union minister, actually said that, you know, every, anybody who enters BJP becomes uh, very clean and becomes kind of pious. So. Uh, we are seeing that, you know, and, and that kind of an attitude may not be sitting really well with uh, those of the, you know, ideologically oriented cadre uh, in, in, uh, and, and grassroots level workers in BJP. Because now they see that there are leaders coming from outside who are getting uh, important positions of power, whereas somebody who has worked in the organization, uh, who has worked in the Sangathan for a long time, uh, is still you know, not having any kind of a political uh, uh, development or not uh, enhancing and uh, not seeing any enhancement in status over a long period of time. We must remember that, uh, you know, it is uh, very important for BJP uh, to, 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 you know, to, to placate or to uh, ensure that the grassroots level organization workers are not really unhappy because uh, we have to also understand that Narendra Modi uh, in his emergence came as being a grassroots level worker right? his his emergence to party politics and to the to the, to the uh, top of the the pyramid so to speak uh, it actually started from him being a grassroots level worker and him being from rss and then from rss pracharak to uh, becoming an organization secretary in bjp and uh, how he traveled across india and got the experience that um, is now reflecting in his politics. Uh, similarly, Amit Shah also has, uh, you know, started by being a booth level worker, right? Uh, and from being a booth manager, uh, and now how he has turned that uh, experience into uh, almost like a, a Midas touch or uh, by managing, you know, the booth level organization structure of the party in every election. So uh, the BJP has been uh, uh, using these examples to show that uh, there. Uh, lowest level workers or grassroots level workers can also 
command the top positions in in the party uh, so it is actually a party with a difference but when they say when they when the grassroots workers are now experiencing something else on the ground and they are experiencing that you know many defectors and other party uh, other entrants from different parties like jyotiraditya sindhya right uh, he is a dynasty leader and he came to bjp in madhya pradesh and uh, how he was you know made the president of the madhya pradesh bjp etc so how these people are uh, coming from outside and usurping power in the party this may not fit well with the party organization uh, in the bjp so that is also something uh, which is uh, important to uh, note for the bjp i i see thank so you so it's it's a party in a sense yeah so in a sense uh, what i would like to say to, to in response to your question is that uh, the bjp is uh, still largely a, an ideological party uh, which is being uh, enamored and which is being driven uh, by a personality based leadership in fact it, that is also a kind of a reason for a tension between uh, rss and uh, and bjp that many some scholars and some analysts have also pointed out that uh, um the personality cult uh, uh, has certain limitations uh, which uh, you know which are also pointed out uh, in the tensions between uh, the sang and the and the party but in, anyway so that's a topic for a different discussion probably i thank you for this answer i mean it has cleared a lot of things for me personally and hopefully for our listeners as well so another question that i have is that like it will there be a difference in how you know all the intersections like caste class and religion come to play in elections this time so will i mean um, will bjp still be mostly upper caste dominated party or you know the idea of hindu unity all those concepts will come to play in west bengal as well and then the religious appeal so will you know the appeal like the what bjp is trying to project mamta banerji as someone who tries to appease his muslim is this uh, are they successful in doing that or like and how are they i mean how is mamta banerjee countering it so how are all these intersections playing in elections this time right okay so uh the thing that uh, you know the thing that um, has happened in the last uh, uh, in the last uh, 20 years probably in in bengal is uh, that that there was a uh, you know there was a notion under the left front that uh, uh, bengal uh, doesn't vote on caste or there is no caste politics in bengal but one of the major things uh, that have happened in the last 20 years uh, by many many scholars have kind of uh, dismantled this notion or they have uh, uh, through their research they have found that uh, that kind of a thing was a uh, was a mumbo jumbo or was a was a false narrative that you know uh, it, it is uh, a casteless society or uh, kind of a, because of course it, that goes well with the idea of class interests but uh, that is not something that uh, actually translated on the ground so uh, there has been uh, you know uh, uh, an idea of a caste politics very much existent in in bengal uh, now the question that uh, does bjp has and have a kind of an upper caste uh, identity still Uh, and will that be the case in bengal also uh, uh, the bjp actually has uh, moved out and it is no more uh, uh, a party with an upper caste uh, you know identity anymore uh, of course there are objections to the upper caste uh, party tag 
for the bjp uh, even uh, by you know uh, party leaders like subramaniam swami we recently saw that he objected to the bjp being termed uh, in a specific manner uh, in a in a thesis of uh, i am amdabad right so that kind of an objection keep keeps coming but uh, the fact on the ground is that uh, from various analysis of uh, electoral data that is available for us that uh, the dalits uh, and the you know the backward castes have also been voting for the bjp uh, we saw this in bihar uh, especially that uh, in the last assembly election uh, bjp got uh, a substantial uh, uh, you know section of the dalit uh, votes in fact in 2015 also when the bjp uh, could not come to power in bihar uh, they still got uh, you know a, a very significant uh, section of the dalit votes so the bjp has been getting you know uh, dalit votes and votes from the backward communities uh, to win elections and and it has broadened its appeal now a lot of that appeal uh, is broadened has been broadened by uh, a kind of a cultural appeal that the bjp has for uh, uh, you know uh, the whether it is the ram mandir whether it is the idea of uh, nationalism right that the bjp is propagating whether it is the idea of national security uh, a, a kind of a you know uh, standing up to the threats from china and uh, now china and earlier it was pakistan so though that kind of a very uh, masculine positioning in terms of national security uh, right so those kind of things appeals uh, those kind of appeal are cross sectional so those nationalism or uh, you know national security and uh, uh, even religious appeals to a certain extent are, are cross sectional across like you know uh, for different caste and class uh, and and bjp has been successful in, in using those uh, but largely what the bjp has also done is to identify particular groups of people or particular communities uh, uh, which are not you know favored in a in a in a ruling regime or in a uh, you know current uh, party by by the party in power in different states right so uh, the bjp in uh, uh, in in haryana went to the non jat voters right similarly the bjp in uh, uh, up went to the non yadav obcs and the uh, non jat of dalits right so uh, that in itself in is a is a strategic kind of a uh, idea of uh, how to you know uh, try to reach out to those people uh, who feel you know uh, marginalized or who are not really uh, who feel that they are not seen favorably uh, or they are not getting as much benefits as other communities are getting so uh, the bjp is try able to reach out to and uh, to to these particularly uh, let's say unaddressed communities and it is it is uh, able to address their concerns right uh, through its of course it's uh, it's a very effective chain of uh, supply chain of uh, state resources and benefits right uh, by by getting them to various government schemes that have been launched uh, by the name of the pradhan mantri so the bjp has been successful in broadening its appeal now coming to the question on religion that uh, you know then what happens with religion uh, that so in bengal is a very important again uh, state uh, similar to assam but uh, i would say bengal is um, probably seen as 
Bengal shares more border with uh, with Bangladesh, uh, you know, and and Bengal has um, you know similar to Assam, Bengal after Assam, in fact, uh, Bengal has the largest population of Muslims in the in the country, uh, and Bengal also, but also because Bengal has more population than Assam, right, and Bengal sends more uh, number of parliament uh, MPs uh, to the parliament than Assam. Uh, so in that sense, Bengal is also uh, politically uh, seen as more important. But again, why I'm saying Assam and Bengal here in the same year is uh, same breath is because uh, BJP in 2019 came up with a Citizenship Amendment Act, right, an ordinance which was later made into an act, and a law was passed about uh, you know uh, giving citizenship to uh, the persecuted minorities in neighboring countries. And uh, it, it was uh, controversial because uh, it notably missed out on any inclusion of Muslims. And uh, coupled with the BJP's idea of uh, NRC, which is a National Register of Citizens, which is basically, uh, as, as mentioned by the then BJP president, uh, a tool to weed out uh, you know, uh, illegal citizens like termites. Uh, it, this became a very controversial uh, law because uh, of the kind of uh, uh, threatening possibilities it had on the status of citizenship of uh, a large section of the Muslim population. Uh, and especially again in Bengal and Assam, you have uh, a large section of the population uh, which has been living in India since 1971, right? Uh, and again, the CAA thing has been very contrasting in, in Bengal as well as in Assam. So in both the states, uh, people are opposing CAA. But in Assam, the reason for opposition is different from the reason for opposition in Bengal. And that is something which is uh, the, the BJP has also been, uh, you know, very careful in uh, addressing that issue. Uh, in Bengal, the BJP is uh, using religious polarization. Uh, the BJP has been taking out, uh, you know, religious processions. Um, in fact, uh, in, a, in a state like uh, Bengal, you know, where actually uh, Durga probably is more popular than, uh, uh, than Ram, right? In the, in the public lexicon or in the public uh, uh, imaginary, public discourse, uh, Durga occupies more, you know, uh, uh, precedence or more popularity or more importance uh, than Ram because uh, Bengal really, you know, uh, doesn't have... Uh, that huge uh, a kind of uh, 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 you know uh, followers of Ram or in, in that tradition, but then uh, somehow the BJP electoral or the BJP's popular slogan of Jai Shri Ram, right, which has had a lot of political dividends to BJP, uh, has become the kind of a almost like a, a war cry for the BJP, and it has become a kind of a you know almost uh, 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 you know. The most common word that you hear, right, in, in Bengal these days is, in fact, Jai Shri Ram. So the BJP has been able to bring in its own ideas into the uh, into the Bengal uh, public uh, discourse, and that is something which is uh, uh, interesting because uh, that is a kind of a shift that we are seeing also, uh, and it is a kind of shift that has led to the you know positioning of uh, a Bengali identity, which talks about Durga, which talks about uh, maybe uh, Ravindana Tagore and other things. And there is a kind of a, 
Hindu identity, which also talks about uh, Ravindranath Tagore, but 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 which also talks about say Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose and uh, you know uh, and uh, other revolutionaries who have uh, you know who have not been or who have been uh, quote unquote sidelined by uh, the Congress in the past. So the BJP is similar uh, in using similar you know symbols of the past, but to to match its uh, rewritten or to match its own version of the rewriting uh, of the history that uh, the party has been doing. So in a sense, uh, the contestation has now become between uh, a, a Bengali speaking Bengali and a, a Hindu Bengali. And that has become a kind of a, a polarizing uh, point that, you know, there is the idea of the religion and there is the idea of the language or the culture. Uh, because again, uh, very important to understand that much of the Muslims, right, in, in Bengal, and which is uh, again the second highest uh, here, uh, much of the Muslim population in Bengal is also a Bengali speaking Muslim, right? Uh, the BJP has already made inroads in areas uh, in, in, in North Bengal and in, uh, in, in the northern parts of the state. Uh, border areas also like Malda and other places, uh, Uttar and Dakhin Dinajpur and other, where there is a Hindi-speaking uh, uh, Muslim population, right? But in in the south of Bengal, in uh, in Chobish uh, Pargana, North Chobish Pargana, South Chobish Pargana, in Medinipur, uh, in other areas, uh, in Murshidabad. So in these areas, you have. Uh, a very Bengali speaking Muslim. And this kind of a wedge between a Hindu and versus a Bengali, uh, this is uh, basically to also identify uh, the Bengali speaking Muslim as something as a uh, outsider. So that is something which is playing out very, um, uh, very uh, dangerously, uh, I think, um, to, to create a wedge or to create an artificial cleavage in the, uh, in the society. Uh, and irrespective of electoral outcomes and irrespective of, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of uh, performance that parties put up in the upcoming election, this uh, polarization will have a, uh, probably a long-term effect in altering the body politic of uh, Bengal. I see. Thanks a lot for your reply here. Uh, a question that I have is, so you talked about, you know, Ben Bengal, you know, Hindu, Muslim, as well as something about Bangladesh, right? That Bang uh, CA and Bangladesh context. But mm -hmm. I was actually scrolling through news and I got to know that Prime Minister Modi has planned his first, uh, you know, foreign trip since COVID-19 in Bangladesh. Could that be read as something political for the elections? See, uh, I mean, see, whatever uh, Modi does has a sense of a political message, right? Um, so uh, this will, I'm sure, this will also have a sense of a political message. But we also see that uh, uh, much of Prime Minister Modi's, uh, you know, uh, domestic politics is uh, sitting at crossroads uh, with his international appeal. And, and that has been... Uh, a thing in you know a thing in the making for the last uh, five years or so uh, 
see, Prime Minister Modi emerged on the on the world scene, right? Uh, holding hands with some of the uh, powerful world leaders, uh, like you know, having a sharing a very good camaraderie with uh, powerful leaders like uh, Barack Obama, uh, Angela Merkel. Uh, who refused to shake his hand, I think. But uh, um, Shinzo Abe, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, or even Xi Jinping, right? So he has been able to, you know, have a very kind of a cordial and very kind of a, uh, I mean, I mean, it is not only cordial, but actually a very uh, jovial kind of a relationship, uh, maybe or, or a personal equation with uh, a lot of these world leaders and world powers. Now, the question is, uh, when this is reflected in the domestic politics, it somehow doesn't augur well or fit well with the kind of image that is portrayed at the world stage. <clears throat> at the world stage, India is actually a very, you know, emerging, uh, no, but not only emerging power, but it is now an emerging superpower, let's say. And uh, with its uh, number, uh, almost a number four or number five, uh, uh, fifth biggest economy and, uh, uh, you know, the kind of uh, market that India offers and the kind of demographic dividend and the kind of, uh, you know, soft power and hard power that India talks about. India is definitely, uh, you know, uh, seen as something which is a very important country to take note of, right, in all international forums. But uh, at, uh, at, at a domestic level, there is the idea of, you know, uh, 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 operation of any kind of a dissent, then, uh, uh, you know, uh, the suspension or actually the uh, uh, kind of oppression of civil liberty, a threat to civil liberty, uh, then uh, the kind of indiscriminate treatment of uh, uh, protesters, uh, uh, the kind of surveillance on uh, or the kind of intolerance on uh, social media, right? The kind of uh, uh, police, uh, polices, we, we see often that lopsided police investigations, and uh, um, you know the dissenters being uh, charged with sedition charges at the drop of a hat. So all these things are actually uh, leading to a very you know different kind of uh, image. Uh, are these are very uh, sitting uh, very uh, at the crossroads with the kind of image that is portrayed at the world level. So that is something that has been happening now with Bangladesh specifically with Bangladesh. Uh, we know that ever since the CAA has come in. Uh, Bangladesh has actually not been very happy with the with the CAA because what the CAA does is uh, it basically says or it basically accuses these uh, neighboring nations of uh, uh, you know Pakistan and Bangladesh uh, to be uh, nations where there is religious persecution or where there is uh, uh, and religious persecution means that there, there is a law and order uh, uh, problem right so if a neighboring country is saying something about the law, is making a comment uh, so big, so as to uh, need, so as to arise, there arising a need to uh, formulate a law to tackle this law and order problem, uh, that is a very big kind of a comment on the uh, quote-unquote internal matters of another country, right? And we just uh, had a very uh, nice, uh, you know, experience of what an internal matter of our country is. So similarly, Bangladesh will also be concerned with uh, a commentary uh, so big as to, uh, you know, necessitate uh, the make formulation of a law to tackle this kind of a law and order situation of uh, religious persecution in Bangladesh. Uh, so definitely that is going to alter because Bangladesh has also made its uh, position.
politician clear that it is not very happy with uh, the kind of uh, uh, wording that the ca did present so uh, this this trip will could be seen as an outreach from uh, prime minister modi uh, in fact again what is very important is that uh, uh, as as chief minister uh, and as a chief minister of a neighboring state uh, usually we see that the constitution of india doesn't allow uh, or uh, uh, prohibits state uh, governments from um, you know dealing in matters of foreign relation but because it is a border state and because they share a long border with bangladesh uh, west bengal and bangladesh uh, uh, india and west bengal, uh, bangladesh through west bengal and uh, because of this idea uh, the the sharing of the river water of uh, tista uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, you know communication between uh, sheikh hasina and uh, mamata banerji also and uh, you know the previous prime minister and even this prime minister uh, prime minister modi has also tried to uh, include uh, mamata banerji in the uh, con conversation with uh, or the communication with uh, uh, sheikh hasina uh, and both being women leaders uh, there is also a different equation there so this uh, trip to bangladesh can be seen as both as a kind of an outreach effort to you know to to reach out to bangladesh which is a very close uh, neighbor and which has been a very uh, uh, a supporting neighbor right uh, uh, in the in the neighborhood uh, and uh, it can also be seen as a kind of a counter to mamata banerji and uh, sheikh hasina's uh, relationship which has emerged over the last 10 years right uh, having said that there is also one more point that i would uh, probably add that uh, uh, at this time uh, during this uh, no pandemic year uh, we have seen that uh, you know india has had a little bit of a uh, you know uh, not a very you know uh, problematic but something which is probably a, a matter of a concern in the neighborhood that uh, 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 we saw that of course uh, pakistan is what it is uh, pakistan and uh, we saw that uh, countries like nepal uh, have also you know not uh, really been responding very well to um, you know uh, uh, and not not been very uh, positively placed in terms of uh, you know uh, its relationship or its attitude towards india with the controversy that happened with the map uh, uh, lipu lake that river lipu lake right river valley uh, sri lanka again uh, there is a kind of india is in a fix with the voting slated for the united nations uh, regarding the kind of uh, you know atrocities or uh, the kind of uh, uh, trial of the war criminals in in sri lanka so uh, india is again in a fix uh, with with the sri lanka uh, myanmar of course has seen a coup and uh, again india has expressed concern uh, but again uh, if it is uh, the uh, the junta which uh, takes power or which uh, controls power uh, india might actually have to deal with uh, with the junta itself because as it has been dealing in the last uh, uh, few decades also right so uh, in a sense uh, in this kind of a volatile neighborhood of course india has made a very generous outreach to its neighbors uh, in terms of covid now with the vaccine diplomacy that we have seen in the last few months and that, that is a very positive step taken by india Uh, so in that sense i think in a, in a kind of a volatile or in a kind of a uh, you know concerning neighborhood uh, india would also be looking to find allies 
uh, and to find you know uh, allies or to find supportive neighboring countries and in that sense probably uh, going to bangladesh will be a good step uh, uh, for india right so i think that that is the kind of an impact that this will have oh yes yes so my next question is uh, so as you discussed earlier as well that at one point of time congress dominated west bengal's politics and then we saw that the communist party dominated the politics of west bengal however now both of these parties are actually fighting for their existence and i guess they have allied as well so what hmm. do you think uh, what role will the congress and communist party alliance play in west bengal this time will they be able to safeguard their voters uh, or can they be a formidable force to fight with so uh, that's an interesting question because i think congress uh, has never really i mean uh, able to get back it's uh, you know it's it's kind of uh, uh, support that when once it lost uh, its support uh, in the end of 1960s um, there were different variations of congress which emerged like like i said about bangla congress was there uh, then there were uh, and bangla congress was operative for for some time and then there was uh, of course trinamool congress which also emerged uh, out of the congress right uh, uh, in the late 90s but uh congress has never really been uh, you know uh, able to recover the lost ground uh, that it 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 ceded in 1960s uh its its vote share has also been uh, you know less than uh, 10% uh, in in bengal uh, so and of course this has even come down further lower to about 5 to 4.5% i think um somewhere close to that figure uh, so congress uh, and also one of the main thing is that uh congress really you know never had uh, uh big leaders coming from uh you know coming from uh, bengal uh in that period of vacuum that uh, left operated and uh, and congress was the main opposition party right in bengal for a long time during the left front but the kind of uh, you know hegemony that the left front could manage uh, uh the congress in a sense became uh, decimated from its you know Uh, rural areas and and it basically uh, the left front got an advantage of uh, almost uh, obliterating any kind of an opposition right uh, the having said that the similar kind of uh, you know obliteration of the opposition also happened during the uh, trinamool congress's uh, uh, initial years uh, in fact uh, if we look at how the trinamool congress controls power in west bengal uh, through the panchayat elections uh we see that kind of a formidable control uh, in which trinamool uh, contestants and trinamool candidates for the panchayat and zilla parishad uh, elections uh, they are actually almost getting elected unopposed so that means that there is no opposition so all opposition has indeed uh, again like i said the idea of uh, coercion and consent so either there has been political intimidation and political uh, you know uh, control of opposition or there has been cooptation or or incentivization to not compete so in any way basically the loss is of an opposition uh, and that has happened uh, twice in bengal once during the left and the other time second time during the trinamool congress now of course the bjp coming into power and with the kind of uh, 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 retaliatory capacity that the bjp has 
uh, we are seeing that kind of a turmoil or, or the kind of unrest or violent unrest or the violent backlash that is playing out in the Bengal countryside. So uh, this is again a very important feature and that is why I bring in the question of violence in Bengal elections that uh, uh, the left front um, uh, regime in, in Bengal uh, basically saw uh, or you know this kind of a very violent kind of a, uh, uh, repression or the, uh, the use of violence as a political force. Uh, we had seen uh, when I mentioned in the first uh, uh, part that uh, the kind of, you know, the kind of state repression uh, that we saw in Bengal playing out in Bengal in the urban cities like Calcutta and several universities in North Bengal and Calcutta, uh, that kind of, a, uh, uh, you know, use of state force or state machinery uh, was also the use of violence as a political force by Congress. Then we saw the use of violence by, as a state force, uh, as a political force by the left front. And now we are seeing the same as with the Trinamool Congress. Now, coming to your question of, uh, you know, how formidable the left front and uh, the Congress alliance will be. Uh, <clears throat> the alliance has already come into certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, complications because of the inclusion of the, uh, you know, uh, the secular forum or secular front party, right, which is uh, from run by the Pirzada of the Furfura Sharif uh, uh, Darga in in uh, in Hooghly, right, in Howrah. So <clears throat> that is a very probably uh, with a ploy to get back uh, a little bit of the Muslim votes which uh, deserted the left front. But we also have to understand that uh, you know the the left front uh, earlier, which which got the Muslim votes, which got the rural votes, uh, a large section of that uh, rural vote or the le left front uh, or the Muslim vote has actually been, uh, you know, uh, uh, has actually been leaving the left front or the left parties. Now, <clears throat> the question for them to succeed uh, arises as to, uh, by understanding why, why did these left front voters leave the support of the left front, leaves, uh, you know, stop supporting the left front, or the CPM, and why did they start going into other parties, right? Uh, I mean, we know that Mamata Banerjee has been making uh, much inroads into uh, the Muslim electorate. Uh, Mamata Banerjee's government has had uh, many, uh, you know, welfare schemes uh, and uh, a, a plethora of, uh, you know, redistribution schemes, uh, which are targeted for uh, all parts of the population, but which are also specifically targeted to uh, the Muslim voters, right? Uh, and this has had a direct relation or this has had a direct correlation to uh, the increase in Muslim voters that we see uh, for TMC party. And over the last few elections, we have seen that uh, in, in constituencies in which there is uh, a significant Muslim population, uh, Mamata Banerjee's vote share has actually gone much higher. Uh, so if, if there is a, uh, you know, there's a recent uh, report in uh, News 18 by uh, 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 an election analyst, uh, Ashish Ranjan, who, which shows that, uh, uh, you know, in, in constituencies in which there is 20% uh, uh, Muslim electorate, Mamata Banerjee's uh, vote share between two elections and the last two elections has actually gone up by almost 10%. Uh, and uh, in constituencies in which there is 40% uh, Muslim uh, population or Muslim electorate, uh, 
the mamata banerjee's vote share has gone up even higher than 10% so that significant rise is uh, very much a reason or very much a reason for uh, uh, the kind of foray or the kind of inroads that mamata banerjee has been able to make with respect to the muslim electorate this has also become the all the more reason for uh, bjp to target her uh, for a, a kind of a uh, appeasement and a kind of a very uh, you know a very uh, what to say uh, a deviated way of uh, secularism practice of secularism or something like that but uh, this is a this is a reality that that much of the muslim voters of the uh, left front have now shifted to trinamool congress now let's come to the non muslim voters of the uh, left front now where did they go right because we see that uh, the left front uh, i mean whatever left front has actually lost in between the 2014 election and 2019 parliamentary election uh, it has directly gone to uh, uh, you know bjp because bjp increased its vote share uh, and i'm talking about the parliamentary elections huh? uh, from 2014 uh the bjp got about 17% of the uh, of the votes uh in 2014 parliamentary election and only two seats whereas in 2019 the bjp got 40% of the parliamentary votes uh, and it got 18 seats that is a very like you know very uh very good electoral uh, performance by the party which is nowhere in sight right which is nowhere in contestation and and in that uh, by 40% votes and by 18 seats bjp became the principal opposition in bengal right and and uh, so why did this uh, vote shift right or why did bjp attract so many people one thing is probably that you know the with the we talked about the kind of religious appeal and the cultural appeal and the idea of uh, celebrating probably bringing the lexicon of uh, jai shri ram and uh, even uh, celebrating hanuman jayanti and uh, you know of course the threat of the outsider and threat of the uh, bangladeshi and threat of the appeasement and kind of a polarization that has appealed uh, to this uh, voter base but much of what has also you know uh, rendered the left uh, front uh, to be uh, devoid of their electoral support is uh, the ability that when there is a, a kind of a you know uh, Uh, sub, uh, suppression coming from the trinamool party machinery or when there is a kind of a oppression or kind of a corruption uh, which is everyday corruption right like rent seeking and uh, uh, syndicate contractual uh, extractions and other kind of uh, you know other kind of uh, 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 other kind of uh, uh, what do you say uh, anomalies or atrocities rather uh, being meted out at the at an at an everyday level by the trinamool congresses uh, uh, workers or grassroots level leaders uh, the people or the voters do not really have any other vehicle or any other party uh, through which they can register an opposition or through which they can actually you know <coughs> uh, resort to tackle this kind of intimidation and threat so uh, they are gravitating towards bjp because bjp seems capable of tackling this threat and bjp has been doing it so when uh, you know political workers are getting uh, killed or uh, assassinated or you know uh, uh, troubled or threatened by uh, political forces at the local level 
bjp has emerged as that kind of a opposition force at the local level <coughs> which is of course backed by the kind of party machinery and party apparatus that exist in the organization structure at the at the central level uh, that bjp has become that kind of a formidable opposition uh, party to which people can turn to uh, to to address their concerns from the uh, intimidations and threats from tmc so that is something which is also playing out to uh, 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 a rejection of the voters uh, of the left front as <coughs> as a kind of an alternative right so now to see that whether uh, you know uh, the the bjp uh, the shift towards bjp in itself becomes a a, a, a kind of a, a threat or not that will i mean we'll have to probably watch that out was that space out uh, in the, in the time to come uh i see so talking about muslim votes we are also seeing entry of a entirely new player ai mim in bengal in what ways will this affect the elections the ai mim is uh, a phenomenon or a party uh, which is a very interesting development because uh, it is it is offering something uh, which is uh, a kind of you know a uh, a uh, 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 a kind of uh, something which is uh, how do i put it uh, let's say uh, it is something which is uh, a disruption right from the existing vocabulary or from the existing idea of how muslim politics is supposed to uh, you know be in has been so far in indian politics right uh, it is actually coming out Uh, from a very caricaturish portrayal of a Muslim politics in India, right? Of course, uh, Ovesi, uh, uh, Asaduddin Ovesi, uses those caricaturish symbolic values of uh, uh, symbolism of uh, uh, you know wearing a sherwani and a skull cap and everything. But uh, it is only in the symbolic representation. When you speak, when you listen to him speak, uh, the kind of uh, points that he talks about or the kind of you know. ideas that he he talks about uh, it is very contrasting in nature to the kind of caricaturish portrayal of uh, muslim politics that has been in in india so far uh, it is talking about a kind of a muslim politics which is outside of the domains of uh, you know limitations of uh, qabristan and uh, you know uh, uh, madrasa and it is talking about technical education it is talking about scientific knowledge it is talking about uh, you know uh, scholarship for girl child education for girl child uh, uh, it is actually talking about removal of hard subsidy it actually uh, so the novesi is also i mean in one of his interviews he also talks about uh, how uh, you know uh, abolishing triple talaq is a good move but criminalizing it is actually a counter move so he is he is coming out as a leader with whom uh, the young muslim electorate is also identifying and that is something which is very important because when we talk about india being a very young country and a demographically uh, you know the demographic dividend we also have to understand that uh, in this uh, in india's uh, you know uh, uh, humongous minority population among especially among the muslims uh the young muslim or the muslim youth is also a very important force to reckon with and uh, the leadership for muslim parties or for uh, for uh, parties uh, which uh, have muslim candidates 
and for Muslim parties, especially, the leadership will be emerging from this youth. Uh, the voters are also emerging from you know, uh, this Muslim youth. And Ovesi has certainly made an appeal with the Muslim youth. Uh, and that is something which is, uh, you know, which can be seen across different states and not only Bengal that, you know, we saw that in Bihar last year that uh, obviously ended up winning five seats. In Maharashtra earlier uh, in 2014, uh, obviously had won two MLAs. And in 2019, uh, one of the MPs, uh, you know, from uh, Aurangabad, uh, is from and which was a Shiv Sena seat. Uh, it was considered as to be a safe seat for Shiv Sena. So uh, MIM uh, had a, has an MP from uh, Aurangabad now. In fact, uh, we live in Ahmedabad and uh, we saw that how MIM made uh, inroads in the Ahmedabad Municipal Corporation polls also uh, just la last month, right? And it has actually made uh, uh, significant inroads in uh, many other. You know, smaller municipal municipalities in uh, in Gujarat. So it is talking about urban issues. It is talking about civic issues. It is talking about uh, you know uh, civic amenities and uh, sanitization and schools and health uh, care in the ghettos. It is talking and it is talking about tackling the idea of ghettoization of Muslims. It is talking about skills training to the Muslim youth. It is talking about a kind of a uh, you know. Uh, 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 an upliftment of Muslim youth, and you know, uh, it is, uh, it is, it has a connect with the Muslim uh, voters, uh, and especially with the young Muslim voters. Now, again, the point that whether it will be successful in Bengal uh, is also something which has not been tested yet. Uh, we see that Mamata Banerjee has had, you know, very successfully, uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, almost like an entrenched uh, uh, Muslim support, right? Because uh, uh, she has hardly given any kind of uh, any any pro, any uh, point for the Muslims to be unhappy with her, right? For the Muslim voters to be unhappy with her, right? Uh, and so, which is why uh, Pirzada and others are also finding it probably very difficult to to uh, counter. Uh, you know, it has of course give, uh, given Mamata Banerjee has of course given. The BJP to be many reasons to be unhappy uh, about the kind of outreach that it has done with the Muslims, but uh, for the Muslims there are because it has also given scholarship to the uh, to the uh, Muslim uh, students, right? It has it has talked about madrasas and malvis, but at the same time it has also given a lot of other benefits to uh, the Muslim voters, uh, which are uh, you know concomitant with the other benefits that it has given to. Uh, all, all the all the citizens of all all the uh, people of Bengal, all the voters of Bengal. So um, now again, important thing to understand is uh, MIM might actually get the benefit of uh, its uh, presence and its uh, uh, you know popularity in the Simanchal region in Bihar, uh, which is neighboring some of the you know some of the northern parts of uh, Bengal like Asansol and uh, in uh, Malda and other places where there are again like I said. Uh, there is a Hindi speaking uh, and Hindi and Urdu speaking Muslim population. But uh, uh, I really don't um, uh, see that uh, uh, MIM will be make, able to make much inroads in the uh, in, in south of Bengal, uh, where there is a largely uh, Bengali speaking Muslim. So that probably will be, uh, uh, you know, an important uh, division to see whether, uh, you know, how uh, MIM works uh, in in 
you know, particular regions of uh, Bengal as against the entirety of the state. Yes. So now comes my final and concluding question. Although the podcast is going so well that I don't want to end it. What impact can Bengal elections have on the future politics of the country? Right. Uh, I think uh, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I also have spoken too long. So probably I will try to make it, uh, keep this one, this answer short. Um, I think the Bengal politics is going to have some uh, major impact for um, the future of, uh, you know, how uh, 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 politics is going to be shaped in India. Uh, first of all, it is uh, probably, you know, uh, if the way in which uh, the kind of polarization that is happening and the kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, violent, you know, turmoil that has preceded this election campaign, right? If, if, that, uh, if, if that continues, uh, you know, to, to a certain extent, or if that goes unchecked, uh, I, I'm afraid this, uh, there might be a propensity to, you know, to, to make it uh, the norm for upcoming uh, political battles in India that, um, you know, this kind of a very uh, rampant uh, and open overt polarization, uh, overt uh, threatening and use of violence uh, and intimidation tactics, etc. cetera, right? whether it be intimidation from the uh, brutal force of the, you know, uh, brutal uh, naked display of uh, violence uh, at the state level or intimidation through CBI, uh, uh, you know, income tax, enforcement directorate, and other agencies at the central level. So the both kinds of intimidation uh, will perhaps become the norm. Uh, that is one thing. Second thing is probably, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, um, one, one more thing which has happened is uh, the kind of professionalization that has happened uh, and that is something which is uh, very important to understand that, uh, you know, while we always say that, uh, you know, uh, since 2014 onwards, of course, that BJP has a very good election machine and it is a very good election management party that the party can actually uh, manage elections very well and uh, manage in the sense, I'm not saying it in a negative sense, but of course it is in a positive sense that uh, uh, the party actually uh, uh, gives in a lot of resources invests in a lot of resources, right? From booth management to Panna Pracharak to et cetera, booth level worker to uh, Vidhan Sabha Vistarak, et cetera. So they're kind of ear to the ground surveys uh, and ear to the ground, uh, you know, reports that the BJP uh, gets for its candidates and for selection of candidates. So that kind of, a, it, it, it talks about a very uh, organized and a very, um, you know, uh, uh, seemingly organic, but a highly professionalized kind of an arrangement, right? Now in Bengal, we have seen that for one of the, probably uh, one of the first times that uh, a state government has been able to match up. Not the first time, because I think it was also matched up by uh, Nitish Kumar and Lalu Prasad, they are the, the Mahagad Bandhan in Bengal in 2015. Uh, uh, so that was also matched up by, by the same, uh, organization of uh, Prashant Kishore, but in Bengal they have had much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, ability to influence the party organization, to change the party structure, uh, or to change the uh, grassroots level workers of or how, uh, you know, the the 
almost working like a hr consultant and not like a political con consultant like because changing the uh, the leaders at the grassroots level at the party organization uh, for a long time for about two or two and a half years now so uh, in bengal we have seen that kind of a professionalization of uh, electoral politics has been brought in by a, a regional party also and that perhaps will also change the way in which uh, uh, traditional politics used to uh, take place like you know we're talking about a digitization of uh, election campaigns and how social media campaigns are used etc but i think going beyond that even to understand or to have this kind of a, you know a professionalization of a political campaign uh, i think that is going to be a, a very uh, important change uh, into how uh, electoral politics is practiced in uh, in india in the in the years to come and and that will probably one also be one of the uh, contributions of uh, this bengal election and the last thing is uh, probably in terms of uh, uh, a kind of a uh, welfare redistributive schemes in which uh, we will see probably again in the years to come or in the time to come that uh, uh, you know even though there is a idea of a, a cooperative federalism but we see that there is a kind of a competing federalism between the state and the uh, and the center in which uh, both you know the state government as well as the central government try to compete with each other uh, in terms of delivery of redistributive schemes uh, so uh, ultimately if that affects the uh, if that uh, you know affects the voters in a positive manner in terms of more resources for the last uh, voter uh, it will be a positive thing but um, it will also be a negative thing because uh, ultimately it will also affect the voter by burdening them with more taxes and burdening with them uh, them with you know more uh, uh, inflation inflation and more cess and other duties uh, to fill in for the kind of uh, losses that uh, governments will be undertaking by uh, making these kind of uh, competitive uh, redistributive schemes so uh, what this also talks about is basically uh, probably an absence of any coordination or absence of any communication between the state and the central government so uh, almost becoming uh, kind of a antagonistic rather than any kind of a cooperative structure and and that is going to be uh, that is um, not really you know uh, conducive uh, or not really healthy for the uh, holding together federalism that we have in india so uh, in terms in, in largely saying it will have uh, you know the bengal elections will have uh, long lasting effects on uh, the federal structure of the country or the federal nature of the country uh, the political behavior or the voting behavior of the of the uh, of the electorate as well as the organization and party structure and you know uh, campaign styles of uh, political parties so i think that these are the three broad, broad areas where i see uh, the bengal elections having a long lasting effect okay so since you talked about federalism i will ask one more question uh, that how is like federalism and double engine ki sarkar this idea supposed to work together because we keep on hearing this rhetoric a lot these days 
राइट सो ओके सो या सो द डबल इंजन की सरकार इज एक्चुअली अ कॉन्ट्रास्ट और एक्चुअली काइंड ऑफ एन ऑपोजिट टू द आइडिया ऑफ कोऑपरेटिव फेडरल स्ट्रक्चर राइट बिकॉज डबल इंजन आई मीन इन इन मोस्ट ऑफ दीज कैंपेन्स the bjp has portrayed that uh, only if there is a state government uh, will uh, and the central government will there be a better coordination and will there be a kind of a better growth uh, so does that actually mean that uh, you know uh, uh, if there is a opposing government there will be no growth or will the center hold uh, you know the money for uh, which is due to the states Uh, and that has happened with uh, you know that 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 has actually happened with the kind of uh, policies that have been designed at the center with the gst right uh, we have seen and especially covid 19 has brought that out more glaringly that many of the states uh, have uh, not been given the uh, uh, allotted amounts of uh, you know their share from the gst the center has been um, not able to or i i mean i'm not saying that it is reluctant to but at least it has not been able to or it has not been uh, giving that money to the say, state governments whereas we see that uh, uh, in terms of handling the covid 19 or in terms of handling the pandemic in terms of making up uh, the lockdown rules and specific guidelines uh, in in those terms the center has given the states a kind of autonomy right so every state can can manage and the district collectorates can manage on their own uh, uh, you know uh, out of their own uh, uh, kind of preference and out of their own uh, uh, managing the situation right but we see that in terms of overall resources there is a lack of coordination between the center and the state and this becomes amplified when it is projected that only uh, a double engine ki sarkar uh, will be you know useful for the growth and i think that is uh, really detrimental to the idea of a, uh, uh, to the idea of a kind of a holding together federalism because uh, it is you know it is the diversity or rather uh, in a democracy there has to be scope for a plurality and the plurality can actually happen because say even if let's say bjp comes to power in all the st- all the states in the country right it will never probably have uh, uh, more than 50% of uh, uh, majority of voters right uh, at the parliamentary level no party has had 50% uh, vote share in in the parliament uh, even congress which won uh, in uh, 402 seats out of uh, you know uh, uh, that was the highest majority right under rajiv gandhi uh, even that government did not have 50% majority let's say the left front government which has been in power for so long in uh, west bengal right and uh, you will find that oh yes they must have been uh, able to have uh, 50% vote share right Uh, because they were so entrenched in power there is no opposition right so they must be getting 50% uh, more than 70 80% of the vote share no out of the 34 years the left front actually got 52% votes in only one election only in one election rest it is always hovered around 42 45% something of that sort so no party will ever get that so then what happens to the voters right who are voting not for this party so will they all have to leave the country will they all have to go to some places i don't think that's the solution right so so in a way the party also or any party at the center or at the state level also have to realize 
that uh, of course it is the idea of party politics that you know we should try to you know it, it is the goal of every party to capture power and to come to power and uh, you know set the policies according to its own uh, preferences and ideologies principles and ideologies but then it is also uh, necessary for a or a democracy for for plural uh, you know for a plurality of voices and for diversity to also uh, get some space so i think that is uh, something which is very important for uh, to understand that this entire idea of one nation one party one uh, election one language all these things are very uh, you know detrimental to the idea of the kind of federalism that we have in india Uh, thank you, Professor Bakshi, for speaking with us today. To our listeners, see you next week.